Welcome to PB&J Connection. This will not be televised podcast. Thanks for checking us out. I'm PB. And I'm Jay. Our health-related discussions will convey educational information about medical research, studies, facts, findings, and experiences of people from every walk of life. Concepts will be simple and easy to understand. We've got you covered, and we promise to not be boring. So let's dive into the world of health you won't find on your television. Hello, listeners. This is PB&J Connection. This will not be televised for a podcast. Today, we're going to delve into the fascinating world of persuasion, where every word, gesture can sway opinions and decisions, even in advertising, politics, and everyday life, to influence our behavior. But before we do that, let's step back for a minute, because you know today we always have that question in the beginning. With our question for today, and the answer will come at the end of this, but the question for today is, what is blood pressure? You know, we always go to the doctor, have our blood pressure. The moment we go into the doctor's office just for a routine exam, they take our blood pressure. So what is blood pressure? Stay tuned, and at the end of this podcast, we will provide you with a detailed information so you will, you will know going into the doctor's office not only what it is, but what you can do to ensure that you get an accurate reading. So as I said, we're going to talk about persuasion today. Um, researchers have been studying the factors that influence us to say yes to the request of others for over 60 years. I'm using a primary source because he is an, an expert and respected psychology and, and marketing expert in persuasion. It's Bob or Robert B. Saldana. He wrote the book Influence as well as his second book that came out called Persuasion. Now, according to Dr. Uh, Bob Sedani, um, there are six universal principles in persuasion. There's reciprocity, scarcity, authority, consistency, social proof, liking, and consensus. Now all these, I'm going to explain in a minute what they are. But based on his research, um, he went, what he did was he took jobs in various different areas because he couldn't understand how he was donating every time somebody knocked at his door or he got a phone call. He was either donating or he said that he was uh, the fireman's ball. He ended up buying tickets, had no desire to even go to the fireman's ball, but then he couldn't figure out why he was always saying yes to the people who were asking for his help. So he, he decided he was going to take jobs. He looked in the newspaper at the time, um, and he decided he was going to take jobs at different areas because he knew that if he contacted the companies, they weren't going to tell him exactly their sales tactic because it's proprietary information. So from that, he was able to gain a lot of insight. And there's six universal factors that of persuasion that make us say yes. The first one is reciprocity. That's when your people are obliged to give back to others in the same form or behavior of a gift or service that they received first. For example, if a friend invites you to their party, and Jay, you know this because we've been in this situation before, you feel obligated to invite them to some future event. Yeah, and you, it's more of an obligation, right? Yeah, yeah, you feel like you can't just accept something as it is. You have to return the favor. 
right? Uh -huh. Or you have a sense of guilt that <laughs> if someone's going right. to do that for me, then I've got to pony up and I've got to do the same thing for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that has a lot to do, and I don't know, but you know, I always come up with these things that pop into my head. You know, when we were young, they used to tell us there's no such thing as a free lunch. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, yeah, you were obligated. If somebody gave you free lunch, you were obligated yeah. to also do the same thing, you yeah. know? Yeah, nothing is free. Yep. Nothing is free in life. And so that may be some old programming that we have, but reciprocity, they found out, was a big factor influencing people. Also, scarcity. If something you want is, like, less available or it's rare, we tend to want to wrap at that moment, take it, <laughs> pay for it, buy it. We've seen this in the grocery store. Have you ever walked in a grocery store and there's two loaves of bread on the, your particular bread, the bread that you usually buy on the shelf? Do you take one or do you take two? Well, it, and also when you think about the people who are grocery shopping uh, before a disaster occurs, like a hurricane, mm. and all of a sudden, that that package of toilet paper, boy, it's at a premium, and I want right. all of them. I I want every single Everything. package I can, even if I don't need it, right? Right. Because it's something special that no one else will have. I will have all of it. All right? of it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Figure Scarcity. that one out. Yeah. That's yeah. Crazy. So they. So we we went through it when COVID hit. Yep. Oh yeah, COVID's a really good uh, example. Ooh. Yes. The yes. hand sanitizer. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Now, even masks. Uh, people yes. couldn't buy masks, and they uh, were importing them, and they said, no, no, don't buy the imported ones because they, you know, they're not safe. And, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and people were paying top dollar to get what they needed. Yes, um, they were. You know, you know, so, yeah, so that's an example of scarcity. So we can definitely be influenced. Our behaviors can definitely be influenced by scarcity. The next one, the third one, is authority. Now, this is the idea where people follow others because they feel like they're knowledgeable experts. They have the, like, for example, your doctor has his uh, diplo medical diplomas hanging on the wall, or uh, your the guy at the gym is a physiotherapist, so he's going to have more clients than somebody who's just a coach because of the fact that he's seen more as an expert in that field. And then we have consistency. People like to be consistent um, from what they have seen or heard from someone else. If someone, say like, uh, I'm gonna give you an example. If you, there was a study that was done and they looked at the people who missed their medical appointment. Now you know, and I know, that when you miss a medical appointment, it doesn't cost anybody but usually the physician. So it, it carries a toll and a cost on the healthcare system. They found, a, when they did the study, they, they did a simple act of just having the patients to write down their appointments on a blank card. So the person behind the desk would just give them a blank card and give them the date and the time for the next appointment and had the patient to write it down instead of them filling out the card and just thrusting it to the patient. Just a simple act reduced missed appointments by 18%. Why? Because the fact that it was a voluntary act done by the person, okay, 
it was active as well as it was a public display of their commitment to keep the appointment. Well, I don't know if it's commitment or uh, I don't know about you, Pam, but whenever, right. whenever I've gone to the doctor and they have not given me a card to say when my next appointment is, I have taken, I said, can you give me a card? I'm going to write this down. Right. But, but I can tell you personally, and this is just me, I might mm -hmm. be the oddball, but I didn't feel any kind of commitment or <laughs> I just knew that I would forget. That that's the right. only reason I wrote it down is because I right. would forget. Right, so you'll forget. Yeah. That was yeah. that's always my reason yeah. too. But this is from the research. They mm. just found that it had an eighteen percent increase in uh, missed appointments just by doing that one simple act. Isn't so that somebody made some money. So that doctor made some money. That's interesting. It is interesting. Huh. The next one is liking. You know, people prefer to to say yes to those people that they like. But what causes one person to like another? Typically, is you like people who have similar, who's similar to, to you. That's one. People who pay compliments. Some people like so much, they love to get compliments that they'll just gravitate that person because they're always giving them compliments that make them feel better or good about themselves. And then there's people who cooperate with us, like on a team or something, for to get towards a mutual goal. Those are the people we end up liking. And then the last one, number six, is people who look at our our, our behaviors, look, and we look at their behaviors, and we find some, some commonality with, where there's a consensus. You do the same thing, just like Jay and I. We, we, our lives, we believe, have run almost parallel. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Every time we talk, we find another nugget of um, common ground that we were like, oh, wow, you two? Wow. Right. Did, I, we, do you remember this? Yeah, you could be or my sister because I feel like, you know, we were on the same path, although not anywhere near each other, you know, growing right. up. We had Absolutely. very similar experiences. Yeah. Very similar experiences. So these little small cost-free ways that you can change and can lead to big differences in your ability to influence and persuade others in an entirely ethical way. So you're not doing anything devious or, or anything like that. This, these are just things that people gravitate to when they're trying to persuade someone. Jay, Jay talked about this one person that she knows, and no matter what, who she asks, if she asks a particular man to do something for her, she, they just, they just do it, and, and at whatever cost she says, you know. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so it, I, it, I needed that power. Yeah, it's and and I, I actually talked to this person recently, and she was explaining something. I'm like, wow, how do you do that? You need to have a class to to show me how that happens because I just don't. Well, first of all, I would feel guilty by doing that. I would feel bad because mm, I think mm -hmm. that's exploiting somebody's kindness right um, but right she she is I, I think it's built into her dna that she does mm -hmm. this and i don't think she's malicious about it i don't mm -hmm. think there's you know malintent i think it's just her personality and how she has operated for you know however long so but it's worked well for her it's worked well well Based on my recent conversation, it sounds like it's maybe catching up with her. But okay, 
that's another, say, that's another podcast. We, right. <laughs> but we've seen persuasion in our everyday life, even going to, so far as to even going to buy a new car or it's Christmas time here, you know. Um, we're in 2020. This is a December broadcast. Um, so we, it's Christmas time. It's the holiday season. And we see the advertisement. We see the the Black Friday, we've seen the Black Friday sales and people are carrying over Black Friday sales two weeks past Black oh, Friday. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Black Friday is just, a, it's just a tagline anymore because you and I both know, historically, Black Friday was the day after Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and that was the only day that you'd get a bargain. And so you'd go to the mall and you'd stand right. there for hours and hours and hours right. waiting for the stores to open so you could get that Cabbage Patch doll or whatever... Whatever it was that you wanted to get for your kid. Absolutely. And the fights would break out. And the fights would break out, yes. (laughs) That was was kind of the funny part. I think that deterred a lot of people from having, uh, going to the mall. Uh, At at that time, Amazon was emerging. So online, yeah, yeah, online purchases was the way to go just to avoid the drama. Yeah, and plus... But it was fun. But when you talk about scarcity, so going back to the same kind of thing, remember when there were Black Friday sales and there were only a limited amount of certain things that everybody wanted, all the kids wanted, and all the parents wanted to buy their kids. And so they ended up scalping or whatever the expression is, right? (laughs) You'd have to go on eBay in order to get the thing. And it was like, you know, $2,500 when the normal price was $10 because of scarcity, because that persuasive, I've got to have it. It's the only one. It's so rare. Right. Right. And it really wasn't because you find out afterwards, after the holidays, that there's plenty available. Yeah, they had some in the back room that they just didn't right. put on the shelf. Yeah, you know, right. Joe, the uh, stock stock guy, just forgot to put them on the shelf. Yeah, intentionally. Intentionally, he was on a coffee break for a long time. He was. He was. So, no matter what, I mean, you know, we can we can change, we can persuade people, but Jay and I are, are here to just kind of look at persuasion and see how it can benefit our, our listeners to become, you know, better decision makers and influencers, um, in, in a, not only in, our, in their personal lives, but in the entire community. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, Pam really set it up well. Uh, I was reading this article in the Harvard Business Review, and the title was Influencer Manipulation. And it goes along the lines of what Pam has been talking about. So the term influence compared to the term manipulation, let me go through what influence is. According to this article, and it makes sense to me, but you know, who am I? Uh Um, It's a neutral term indicating a person's capacity to have an effect on another person. It's not negative, it's not positive, and it involves the freedom of making a choice. So when you influence others, they choose to follow your lead out of respect, admiration, or the logic and evidence that you provide. And that's just what Pam described. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's, a, it's a method of persuasion that is completely neutral. It's not uh, coercion. It's mm-hmm. not designed to force or obligate anybody to, to you know, make them follow that person and, and what they're saying. Now, manipulation, on the other hand, Uh, According to this article, um, 
Ruchi Sinha, Dr. Ruchi Sinha, uh, an associate professor of organizational behavior at the University of South Australia Business School in Adelaide, Australia. She says, I'm assuming it's a she, uh, said that manipulation was first used in 1827 to mean skillful oh. action by hand involving operating, moving, altering, stirring, guiding, and editing things in a person's environment. Okay, that was in 1827. Oh. <laughs> so here oh. we are in 2023. And she said, and boy, I hope it's a she because, and I apologize, Dr. Sinha, if, if you are male and I'm calling you female. Right. Uh, they, uh, she says, it's meant to describe today handling and managing a situation skillfully to serve a person's own goals. There's, uh-huh. there's a negative connotation, um, and it infers being deceptive, exploitive, and controlling others. Using influence for a bad cause to gain a personal advantage at the expense of someone else. So, oh. influence does not equate to manipulation, Right. No, it doesn't. Manipulation bad, influence good. Good, right. <laughs> right? And it's just how you use it. Right, right? exactly. And so Pam was um, alluding to, uh, you know, how do, we, how, do we, uh, how do we safeguard ourselves against manipulation? What, how do we know the difference? What, what kind of personality traits do, does someone have to have? And so um, in this article, they talk about manipulative tactics to change a person's perception. So I'm gonna list uh, five things here, and uh, one is talking in ways to cast self-doubt or gaslight, making a person question their own beliefs in a negative way. That could mean a person is passive aggressive, uh, could mean that they give you the silent treatment, or they make someone feel guilty uh, that they have self-doubt about their skills and abilities. Hey, that sounds like abuse. Well, yeah, well, it is. It's <laughs> someone who's manipulative. Usually you're not saying they're a nice person, right? Right. Yeah. Um, another one, using, boy, it's, it's amazing. And I, I know when I say this, Pam and, and the listeners will probably say, oh, yeah, I, that's happened to me before. Using superficial charm, and, and Pam mm-hmm. touched on this too, mm-hmm. using praise, compliments, um, giving small favors, and giving excessive public recognition to get a person to accept responsibilities but beyond what they normally would would do, right? right? And, and yeah, I, I've seen that at work. Me too. <laughs> and I was like, really? Seriously? So I. I'm sure a lot of our listeners yeah. have seen somebody in action oh. and, and, and have watched the, their cunning, they call them cunning. Yes, but. yes. <laughs> and, and you just shake your head and you say, knock it off I know what you're doing right yeah anyway um, another way that people manipulate is to make social comparisons they talk about the strengths of others to indicate how a person should act Um, making a person feel inadequate so they'll do things in a certain way right if you do it this way you'll be just as good as so-and-so right misinformation using lies and repeating them so that the information ultimately seems true and authentic and boy, oh boy, don't we hear a lot of that in politics in the United States. Jeez Louise. <laughs> oh, if, you, if you say a lie enough times, then everyone thinks it's true. It's true. Boy, yes. the earth is flat. Or if you say enough lies, somebody is going to 
go and look and find out if it is true. Right. And you might find out that it may be truly false. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, and then there's fear. Fear appeals uh, are messages that try to persuade people about the potential harm that might happen to them if they don't accept the message's recommendations. Right? This is going to be bad. You better be careful. Right? All, and we hear these all the time. We heard it during COVID about getting yes. a vaccine, about wearing a mask, about doing this or doing that. Um, we hear it when there is an impending snowstorm or whatever. Oh, you better go buy bread and milk because right. and toilet paper because. Toilet. Oh boy, you know. And by the way, well, one thing that that amazes me about the toilet paper. So that toilet paper is like the first thing off the shelf. Yes. <laughs> and you and I talked about this offline, right? How, what what happens to your system that you all of a sudden need more toilet paper during a storm? I mean, what are you doing? What the heck are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing that you need more toilet paper? Jeez. You'll never, you'll never get out alive without the toilet yeah, paper. Yeah, it's like, mm. so, so here's the deal. Uh, this article I thought was really good because it gives, um, it gives you some ideas of what you could do. If you think you're being manipulated or you want to avoid from being manipulated, um, you learn techniques to lower your susceptibility and boost your cognitive mm -hmm. immunity. I like that. Cognitive like that. immunity to manipulation. So I'm going to go through five questions that you should ask yourself. And then if you answered yes to most of the questions, you're probably susceptible to manipulation. So here's number okay. one. You ready? Do you want me to answer? <laughs> I know that your answer yeah. would be no to all of these. <laughs> right? But okay. You can, if you want to answer, you can. All right. All okay. right. All right. So do you have a high need to please others? Are you often concerned about not upsetting people and you do things to avoid this one person from getting angry or annoyed? No. I didn't think so. <laughs> are you, I know you're going to say no to all these because you and I are so much alike, right? Um, are you always concerned about how this one person thinks and feels about you? And do you seek their approval and acceptance more than others? Hmm. Well, you know, I guess for our listeners, you can kind of break it down because they probably would think the same thing. It depends. It depends on who that individual was, how close that person was, um, uh, their relationship the type of relationship. Like family members? Family members, Like people yeah. like to please their parents, I would say. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yes, yes. Um, so I think I'm not one of them, by the way. I answered that no. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know me, I'm a renegade, right? I'm always right, trying to stir exactly. the pot. You more so, that's why I said, no. for me, it would depend on the relationship with the individual. I know, see, you're nicer than I am. Listeners, she is so much, she is so nicer than I am. <laughs> Well, I hear it. There's only one person I can think of who that would apply to, or that would be my dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's you know, there's a respect level in there too. You know, right. you respect your parents and, and absolutely, right. especially as long as he took care of me. Exactly. I, I always feel this this obligation. Let's go back to persuasion. Right. <laughs> I right. feel this obligation to right. do whatever I can. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, Again, but I still say no for me. <laughs> I'm just saying. Gotcha, but that, that's another podcast, uh, listeners. Um, so here's the number three. Do you find it difficult to say no or find yourself saying yes, even when you want to say no? Do you have trouble saying no? No. I don't think you do. No. I don't think I don't. you have a problem saying no. Even, no, if, you, even if you say no and give the, uh, the, the person another option. 
Right. No, but. But. (laughs) But how about this instead? Right. Y'all give them an alternative. Right, right. Just not a flat out no. Exactly. Unless it's it's so uh, definitely against my moral values and ethics that I'll just automatically say no. Right, right. Um, number four, do you find yourself justifying the motives and putting a positive spin on another person's actions when, uh, and this is a couple of questions in this number four, when others point out this person's flaws, do you find yourself denying their ill motives and giving them the benefit of the doubt by coming up with a logical reason for their manipulative behaviors? No, no, no. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay. I didn't (laughs) think so. I'm glad you qualified that question. I didn't think so. (laughs) I didn't think so. Okay, number five, this is the last one. Do you feel that you have no option but to remain in your current relationship? And do you feel the need to sustain and protect relationships even when they are hurting you? Mm. Jay, you know my answer on this one. We are both a no on that one. Right. Yeah. And listeners, understand, like I said, it comes back to the relationship, the type of relationship that you have with this individual and what you're willing to tolerate. Uh, Jay and I have been around on this rocking, uh, rotating <laughs> earth for some time. So we, we've learned easily how to say, no, not doing that. Um, I'm done, you know, yeah. but we, we also realize that not everybody has had the experiences that we've had. Yes. Um, and so sometimes you have to be patient with yourself, but if it's not serving you and it's doing more harm than good it's better to say no than to accept it for what it is yes and and i would say uh and i could be wrong here but i think based on our conversations both informal and on this podcast as you get older you are probably less likely to put up with a bunch of crap that you might have put up with at a younger age because with age comes wisdom and lessons learned And so I think that is also a facet of, you know, being able to comfortably say no, not in a, in a terrible way, like not no, but hell no. I mean, you don't have to be nasty about it, but you you should be able to say hell no in your head. Right, right, right. Or just look at him and shake your head and say, what? Are you, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's Jay's life. What? Are you killing yeah, yeah. That's her no. Yeah. Everybody knows that that's Jay's no. Yeah, that's not happening. That's not happening today or tomorrow. Yeah, right. So in this article, they give what they give examples of things that you can do to identify whether someone's manipulating you so that you can guard yourself, so that you can make sure you're not exploited and you don't get taken advantage of. And so one of the uh, two recommendations is... Collect evidence and notice what is happening. Take the time to observe your own and the other person's behavior. Evaluate reliability and validity of the data um, you're using to make your judgments about others. You might notice things that you normally would unconsciously deny or overlook. These discussions can also help you create counterfactuals for what you deserve. So pay attention, right? So mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, really analyze what someone is asking you sometimes, because it, if it's a pattern, that's something to also think about, you know, how many Absolutely. times has this person asked you things and you've, 
when you walk away, you feel okay, but then days later, you feel like you were manipulated, right? Right. right. It, it, it like hits you at the, a strange moment or time. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And so the second uh, recommendation is trust your instincts. Um, often victims of man- manipulation know deep in their minds that something is off, but they let it go feeling that um, when it arises, um, they're motivated to keep the relationship going. Um, either because they like the person or they feel like they don't have an alternative option or they're afraid that saying something about it would upset the other person, right? It's like, you know, I don't want to upset the apple cart. I don't want to, you know, get on anybody's, you know, crap list. And, you know, I just don't want to stir the pot. Right. And I don't want them to be mad at me. Right. Don't want them to be mad at me. And so here's, here's something to think about. When you say that, I don't want them to be mad at me. So if you are a strong, a strong opinionated person, like I am, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then you start thinking, now wait a minute, hmm. Now if I, if I don't make them mad, that means that when I need them for something else and then I become manipulative, right? Right. (laughs) Then then you become the manipulator. It's like, yeah, because I'm going to need something from them down the road. So the tables, the the tables can turn. If, if you quickly. see that person who's manipulating you, it's like, okay, I'll play the game. Oh, but, sure, I'll do that. But guess that's what? Very, that's, like I said, that's very sinister. Yeah, you'll pay, well, that's... <laughs> but I like it. But I that's like me, it though, right? You know? yeah. No, but if what comes around goes around, yeah. as they say, right? Yeah, the tables can turn. And, and sometimes, you know, people can use that to their advantage. So, just saying. That's... That's a that's a good point. Yeah, really good point. That's just me though, Pam. I know you wouldn't do that. That's just me. Cause, yeah, right. Because I'm a more terrible person than you are. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It depends on how far it goes and what it is. <laughs> if it if it if if I can if I can get through the moment of this may serve me well later. <laughs> See, you do. You do that. I, you you wouldn't yes. use that expression, it may serve me well, because that's right. exactly what you think inside your head when you yes. start doing things. Let's say, hmm, how's this going to serve me well serve if me I well. do this? What, what's the advantage to me if I do this because this person is manipulating me, right? Right, right, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again. You ask, ask, yourself, ask yourself that question and believe me, you can turn it. You can turn it completely around. The thing is, would you be given the same opportunity? Yeah, uh-huh. and that and that's the unknown, right? If mm-hmm. you will have that opportunity, right? Right. So let me. I'm going to talk about one more thing, and then we can, um, excuse me, get to the uh, trivia question. I thought this was an interesting article. It's a Washington State University study, done in August of 2023, and it was talking about restaurants and menus and trying to persuade customers to choose healthier foods. Now, when I first saw this, I'm like, what restaurants are trying to get people to eat healthier? Because every time I see a commercial, it's for some double, double-decker, double you know, meant <laughs> bacon, for 10 bacon, pe- <laughs> bacon, cheese, and, you know, three buns and... I'm like, really? Are there restaurants who are trying well, to three dollars? Yeah, well, yeah. And if you want something healthier, it, that'll be thirty dollars. Thank you. Right. So, so this study 
um, said, in the, U in the United States, restaurants with more than 20 locations are required to show the calorie content of food on their menus. And that came about within the past 10 years, I believe. Um, and the restaurants were not too happy about that, by the way. Um, restaurants can persuade patrons to choose healthier foods is the gist of this article. And <laughs> the, the, the quote in this article says, healthy food items could be profitable for restaurants, but whenever a healthy label is attached, people may assume it does not taste good. Right, because you all you start thinking oh, yes. about, oh, it's got to be tofu, it's got to be vegetarian, you know, it's mm -hmm. not fried, and I want fried. It's probably, you know, baked, right? right. I don't want a baked potato chip. I want a fried potato fried chip. Fried potato chip. Right? I don't want baked <laughs> french fries. I don't want fried french fries, right? Mm -hmm. So the intent of the study was to demonstrate to restaurants um, the other approaches that are available to entice customers to buy healthier food. Now, here's the deal. You and I both know, and we've talked about this in our podcast, that healthier food typically is more expensive than crap food. Yes. Right? Yes. That's why yes. people who are low income and are struggling financially, they're not going to their local grocery store for many of their items. They're going to the Family Dollar and the Dollar Store, right. and they're buying the lower-priced goods. And typically, those aren't the best. You know, cheese they doodles are. are not nutritious. Right. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. All those kinds of things. So you would think that restaurants would want to highlight those things that are healthy because it's going to bring in more money because it's all about the money. Right. You and I've talked about mm -hmm. that. How many times? Follow the money. Eh, follow right? the money. So here's the deal. This is what was interesting to me. By increasing the size of the font of the numbers associated with nutritional information on menus. Wait a minute. You said... Increasing the font. Increasing the increasing font. Increasing the font. So I'm going to get to okay. this. You'll, I'll explain to the, because this is kind of confusing. It's like making the font of numbers, nutritional. Blah, 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 blah. Let me get okay. to that. Okay. It, it'll be, it's kind of a weird thing, but you'll get, you'll, you'll understand. So this particular approach is called the numerical Stroop effect. This approach uses inconsistency to emphasize lower numbers and slightly slow the decision-making process to help coax customers toward healthier menu options. So here's, here's how it works. The effect is observed when the physical size of the number doesn't match its actual magnitude. So when the number, for example, when the number 50 is in a large font compared to another number that's 80, so 50 is in big oh, letters, big bold right. letters, 80 is tiny, right? right? So for the study, participants were asked to choose between a less healthy item like a smoked beef burger and a healthier option like a grilled chicken sandwich. Um, the participants were assigned to two groups and ultimately um, the researchers also asked questions to gauge how health conscious the participants were and gave varying time limits to some to measure the time constraints when they're making decisions, right? So what they found was the group that saw low calorie counts but printed in large fonts were more likely to right. lean toward the healthier option. Oh, The fact that the calorie count was low but printed in a huge font right. made them lean towards that, towards that. item right wow. 
Mm-hmm. Even those that, even those people that said that they were uh, less health conscious, were also affected by that approach, that Stroop effect. And those that had a health level of health awareness already were less likely to be swayed. They weren't persuaded mm-hmm. because they already eat healthy. So if you and I went to a restaurant, we're going to already be looking for healthy options. We're not oh, going to be looking right. for the fried, big, you know, triple bun, ten hamburgers on a roll with cheese right. and bacon. We're going to be looking for fresher, you know, more healthy stuff anyway. So that wouldn't make mm-hmm. any difference to us. We wouldn't care what font it was, how big right. or how little it was, because we'd be looking right. at the factual information like how Absolutely. many calories, how much fat, et cetera, right. et cetera. Exactly. What's on it. Yes. Yeah. But isn't that interesting that this particular study showed that the size of a font, regardless of the number, swayed people to get healthier food. Healthier food. I mean, who knew? And talk they about do that persuasion. More often more restaurants. I know. So now I'm going to start looking at menus and see if they're doing that because I've never yes. paid attention before. Think, but I'm going to yeah, check it out. I think, I think we all should. Yeah. We. I think we all should look at the lettering, look at the the font size, and to see if there's a difference between, you know, between the items on the menu. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So. So is that persuasion or is that manipulation? That's, that's a, the question. That's that's a good point. Well, persuasion... Because I think they're trying to persuade people to take healthier options. Yes? Yeah. That was the... It's, it's that not a negative the, thing. It's, it's, not a, it's definitely not a negative thing. But is it manipulation when you change the size to drive people in a direction of the, where you want them to go? Because you know that the prices may be higher or... You and I both know that the healthier option is going to be more expensive. Always. It just is. Always. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's, that's a good a, point. That's a really yeah. good point. Not sure. But it also gives our listeners an opportunity to use their decision-making skills, if they know this is happening, to be aware that it's happening, and they can use the best decisions for their life. Yeah. Pay attention. Look at everything. Evaluate things. Be proactive. Yep. yep. And, and just master the art of influence as well as persuasion and see how it, they play out in our psyche as far as when we make decisions, when we make purchases, the, the people we choose to put into offices, political offices. <laughs> I mean, every, everything is, there is an art to all of what they're doing. And so if you are aware of the art, then you can, just like uh, in the case of AI, and, and Jay, I don't know if you want to touch it on that, but I'm going to let you go sure. with the AI because that is also an art. Sure. So um, the University of Zurich in June of 2023, they did an article, they did a study uh, with 697 participants, and they were taking a look at tweets uh, done by GPT-3, Um, AI, and they were trying to figure out whether using AI uh, was a good source of information or disinformation. And so in this article, they said, compared to humans, artificial intelligence language models produce accurate tweets that are easier to understand and tweets containing disinformation that are harder to detect, right? So the information's easy to understand, but... It might be disinformation, right? Right. Hmm. Right. Yeah. 
So what they were, the, the gist of the study was to show that AI has got risks uh, that need to be mitigated so that people who are reading information or disinformation know the difference and know, and just like you were talking about with um, politics and electing people and the information that goes out because everybody's got a platform for their campaign. It's like, well, is this accurate or is this inaccurate? I mean, how do you tell? And with the AI models that they mentioned in this particular article, which is OpenAI's GPT-3, there were risks and benefits in, in, you know, using AI for, you know, uh, generating information for people. And so um, these guys from the University of Zurich, they, they basically said, and uh, the, the pros of using AI-powered campaigns and the topics that they used were uh, climate change, vaccine safety, the COVID-19 pandemic, flat earth theory, and homeopathic treatments for cancer. They said that AI demonstrated the ability to generate accurate and compared to tweets from real Twitter users, more easily comprehensive, uh, comprehensible information so that they were easier wow. to read com- compared to humans who were generating right. tweets. So that's mm-hmm. cool. I mean, that's, that's, that's good, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It gives people a better understanding of what others are saying or the information that's out there. Right. Yeah. Now, the bad news, <laughs> the bad news about AI is that AI language models have an unsettling knack for producing highly persuasive, there's that word, mm-hmm. highly persuasive disinformation. And the participants in this study, 697 people, were, were unable, they couldn't reliably differentiate between tweets that were created by GPT-3 and those that were written by real people. Wow. Oh boy. Oh boy. So there's, there's some, uh, there's some, I, there's something that there, that's going to have to be done because we are all going to be guessing whether what we're reading and what we're looking at because they even have the AI generated um, people talking and people yes. singing because yes I mean, and it's and it's fascinating because it's so real right right and that's why they had uh, I think it was part of the reason why the um, SAG had the uh, strike because yes. all the movie makers were like well we don't need any actors we're just gonna use AI and call it a day um, same and thing easily with to songs. do so yeah, yeah, with the uh, songs and, and, and people, as well as film editors. Yes, you know, yeah, AI does it faster, better, cheaper. It it can run twenty four seven. Doesn't need bathroom breaks. Doesn't need to go home to sleep. You can run all night long and create a movie in in a matter of seconds. Right. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. Amazing to me. So. So persuasion by artificial intelligence is mm-hmm. it's here. It's just, I don't know how, how we're going to get through it, but I guess we don't have nope. any choice but to figure it out. Right, exactly. Well, listeners, it is time to the, for the answer to the question. So, Jay, what is blood pressure? Please explain. Okay. I thought I knew, but I think I don't. <laughs> yeah, well, you and me both, because as you indicated at the, at the very start of the podcast, you know, we go to the doctors, we get our blood pressure taken, they record the results, they tell us what the results are, and we go on our merry way. Right. Um, 
<laughs> so I was thinking, uh, I wonder how many people even know what that is. So blood pressure is defined by the Cleveland Clinic, by the way, as the measurement of the pressure or force of blood inside your arteries. Each time your heart beats, it pumps blood into the arteries that carry blood throughout your body. And this happens 60 to 100 times per minute, 24 hours a day. So your blood pressure reading has two, me uh, two measurements. The top number is called the systolic blood pressure. And this is the pressure in your arteries when your heart is beating and sending blood into your arteries. Sorry, <laughs> I meant, this is how it's described with the uh, word arteries used twice, so sorry about that. Um, the bottom number of your blood pressure reading is called the diastolic. This is the blood pressure in your arteries when your heart is at rest between heartbeats. And right, your heart doesn't rest for that long, right? Between heartbeats. Right, I mean, not that's between like, heartbeats. Yeah, I mean, that's well, like... I don't know. I can't say that. I can't, because I guess it depends on what you're doing at the time. You know, how people's, after they work out or exercise, their, their heart is beating right. real fast. Right. So, yeah, but... I'm not sure because I can't give anybody that number. You know, how many seconds in between or the rest period or the pumping period, I can't. Yeah, so, but I would think it's, you know, it's all, your heart's always beating. Yeah, and you can actually feel your heart. So right. when it is beating, yeah. I, yeah. So, it, so, I'm not going to guess the Yeah, I don't know. It's, on this way. It, it's still kind of a foreign concept to me, but... Uh, this Cleveland Clinic also said, how do you prepare for a blood pressure measurement? So what's the ideal way to prepare? I didn't even know that you should prepare. I didn't even know. I'm just like, okay, what, what, do we, what do we need to do? So Cleveland Clinic says, wait 30 minutes to measure your blood pressure if you just smoked, exercised, or had a cup of coffee. Who knew? How many people uh, go to the doctor's office after just having a cup of coffee, by the way? Absolutely. Or uh, walk into the doctor's office with a cup of coffee. With a cup of coffee. Hand, right. Or, yeah, or, or anything <laughs> or, else that's you know, caffeinated. something they picked up on the way, you know? Right, Starbucks or something, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, go to the bathroom and pee until your bladder is empty to prepare. Um, roll that up your, doesn't happen. Yeah, that's, I, that's a new one on me, too. Um, roll up your sleeve so you don't put the cuff over your shirt sleeve. Sit for at least five minutes without talking. Sit up straight with your feet flat on the floor and don't cross your legs. I have heard of that one before. Yes, yes. Um, we knew about the crossing of legs, but I was surprised by the five minutes of not talking prior to having your blood pressure. Because normally in an exam room, you know, the nurses or the, the assistant is talking to you, you're talking to them, they're asking you questions about how you go, but you know, that I, they're just holding conversation because they're trying to build rapport, right? So that you feel comfortable before they take your blood pressure so you don't elevate your blood pressure. And I just never, so now I, I told Jay right before this, I said, you know what, from now on, I am just going to go into the exam room and when they pull out that cuff, I'm gonna say, Leave for five minutes or be quiet for five minutes and let me be quiet for five minutes before you take my blood pressure. Yeah. Because I'm sure they've gotten some pretty inaccurate readings just by not taking that one precautionary measure. Right. Or even going to the bathroom. I didn't even know about that. Yeah, I didn't either. Uh, I, who knew? 
Um, and I would bet with you and I having gone to the doctors before, that mm-hmm. they are time is of the essence, and they didn't want to scoot you in there and scoot you out. And so if you say, yeah, wait five minutes, they're probably like, what? Yeah, it's 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 the meat market. Mm-hmm. You're in, you're out. Yeah, yeah, the assembly line. Um, mm-hmm. And then the last one was rest your arm on a table in front of you so your arm is at heart level. And that doesn't happen with me either. My arm is usually by yeah. my side. It's not on a table. Yep. I'm sitting in a regular chair with no arms. Right. And okay. so they yeah, put the cuff too. around my arm and that's it. So, right. Yeah. Who so, knew? Yeah. who knew? But our listeners know now. Listeners, it's been great today. Thank you for joining me and Jay on our PBJ Connections podcast. Today, we looked at the world of the art of persuasion as well as manipulation. Um, go out there, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and happy holidays.